Hello, welcome to 70 Plus, where we get to know people who are over 70 with interesting life stories. Today, I have Eddie with me. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. Well, glad to join you. Yes, so do you mind telling us how old you are? I'm 77. Okay, where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in a pineapple town called Pahiwa, and that's on the island of Oahu, Hawaii. And Wahiawa was known back, those, back in those days as a pineapple plantation town. And to give you a better perspective of where Wahiawa is, adjacent to Wahiawa is a major military base, the Schofield Barracks. So I was raised, born there. And uh, when I graduated high school, I would further went on to college college at the uh, University of Hawaii. In my family, there's uh, six of us, mom, dad, and I have uh, three sisters and the only son, only boy. And uh, my oldest sister is about five years older than me. And my second sister is maybe two years, two years older. And then my kid sister, is uh, two years younger than me. So how was so, your yeah. relationship with your siblings growing up? Well, back then, we were um, a tight-knit family. The aunties, the uncles uh, used to get to have always a get-together over the weekends. And uh, that was there to um, get together and um, play cards. They love to play uh, rummy. So the men and women would be all playing rummy. And my cousins, uh, we would be off playing here and there and everywhere, getting into trouble, you know, <laughs> swimming in the, um, the, the, the flumes uh, in Eva. They have uh, plantation flumes. Eva was noted for sugarcane growth. And so while the parents were playing cards, swimming in the flu, <laughs> I, I would never go in the water now. The water is yikes. <laughs> <laughs> so did you get along with them growing up or did you bicker? Well, because of the age difference, I, I wasn't, you know, very close with them, especially the oldest one. But you know, we, we went out together as a family and as went by, I was, when I got married, I was more focused on my immediate family. And because of the gap between me and my sisters, uh, they tend to go their way with their things, and I do my own. And periodically, we'll get together with the family. But we don't interact like as much as my, my friends. Some of my friends, husband and wife, are like brother and sister to me and my family. My kids only know them as auntie and uncle. There's no blood relationship, but it is the longevity of nurturing the child when they were babies. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how it is. So there is the, the tradition of being closely knit with the immediate family uh, has soon uh, disintegrated to, oh, now, maybe disintegrated is maybe a too rough of a term to use. You know, it's, it is not as gelled as it was before. 
but yet, you know, we see each other, say hello, and that, that's about it. We don't even exchange a gift at Christmas. So tell me about your parents growing up. Well, my parents uh, ran a grocery store. It was a complete store. It, it included meat. What's a pretty good size um, store. And this goes back to uh, the war days, World War II. And uh, they worked very hard. One thing about that, their generation, all they knew was work. And their goal was to be successful, to afford us uh, better living than them because their education level was limited, maybe sixth grade, but amazing, sixth grade. They had enough intelligence, especially my father, to be a businessman. He knew math, limited education, he knew math. So while growing up with them, I uh, had to work in the store. And even if I didn't want to work in the store, uh, it was not a choice that I had. And so I worked in the stores, and then on weekends when my friends would go to the beach, I couldn't join them. I, I felt left out and not really under, under, fully understanding why it was necessary. It's a family business. You, you need to participate. And that kind of a value developed after uh, I graduated high school, maybe even after I graduated college. Then I saw the value of the integrity of the family. Your parents work hard, hey, you as a parent, you have to work hard for your children. And that kind of uh, value got instilled in me. So when I saw my parents working hard, I, um, I was influenced uh, a lot by my dad. He was uh, a good businessman. So in addition to having the market, he had real estate on the side. I used to help him with the real estate side. And that sort of gave me a foundation to understand the principles of being a property manager. And that had carried forward into my life as a grown up. So were you upset when you had to work in the store when you were younger or did you kind of get it? Well, I wasn't happy. I like to go to Waimea Bay with the boys and swim and jump off the rock and have a good time. But I think, Looking back now, uh, that's the price you pay to gain some other value. You're not understanding at the time why, but now it makes a lot of sense to me, and uh, hey, I'm glad I did it. Did you express yeah. your not wanting to work in the store, or did you keep that to yourself? <laughs> oh, it was on my face. <laughs> Unhappiness. <laughs> and, I mean, there, there was no two ways about it. Mm -hmm. We would have to go to work. And then uh, toward uh, my senior year, I more, more understood uh, my parents working hard. And then uh, my sisters and myself would uh, alternate working on Sundays. The store used to be up, open on Sundays. And that was to give my parents a break yeah. on Sundays. And then Sunday afternoon, we would all end up going down to my grandmother's house with the rest of the family and they will be playing rummy. That's sweet. How was your relationship with your parents growing up? My mom was on the lenient side, and my dad was a disciplinarian. And if he said to do something, you do it. Those days, 
um, they didn't spare the rod. So if you did something wrong, grossly wrong, you would take out the belt and you would just stand tall and accept the punishment. If you ran away, he'll get you another day. So just stand there and get it. And uh, those days growing up, because of my parents' limited education, they couldn't help me or my sisters uh, with learning. Pretty much we were independent. Those days life was simple. Not very much to run around with, not very much money. And so when we go and play in the park, uh, we would be playing barefooted. And that's the way it was growing up in Hawaii, barefooted. And then you meet up with the kids in the neighborhood and they're in the same boat as you, barefooted. And then one boy has the bike and he's sharing with three other guys. <laughs> always help each other out. And even true today, you know, uh, my friends at this stage in life, we always try to help each other out. So how was school for you growing up? Because you didn't have help from your parents. You learn. Best learn on your own. School is there to help you, but you have to take the initiative and go above and beyond. Well, I never went above and beyond. Had enough intelligence to get, uh, get decent grades, but never really had the motivation. And then I, I graduated. Then when I went to University of Hawaii, then I could tell a big difference in my skills, my educational skills, the foundation, it was poor. Compared to the other students in the class, uh, they would grasp the theory that's being presented will understand much uh, easier. I had to try hard and maybe I can, I can best describe my four years at the university, including going to summer school. The first two years, they were trying to throw me out. The last two years, they wouldn't let me out. I had to try hard and, and, and to make it work. And I persevered, graduated with uh, Bachelor's of Business, Business Administration, majored in marketing. It was okay. So how was, tell me a little bit more about your time at college. How was that for you, socially, academically? I was always, always a social being. I always have friends here and there, spend more time playing around rather than having a good head on my shoulder, being focused. Just went there and it was fun. And... Uh, Maybe just about my junior year, you know, I started, the light bulb turned on and I, I got more serious about my life. And then uh, I studied more so I could graduate. And once I graduated, I uh, went to the, uh, Los Angeles just to see, you know, uh, what life is about. And I was there for two years. I worked, up a, worked at Northrop. That was an aircraft company. They were big, Northrop, no air. I was there uh, working as a material coordinator. I didn't know anything about material coordinating, but they taught me. It wasn't rocket scientist stuff. Just graphing things and looking for critical parts that is needed on the assembly line, as an example, a hydraulic part. Uh, that's being inspected. All the parts on an aircraft have to be inspected. There's a rigorous uh, manual for inspecting all the various parts and its function. If they're in on the assembly line, if there is a window, they, they know more or less 
how much supply they have on hand necessary to work up to a certain date. And so if they see a critical short shortage, they would contact our department and I would go hunt down where the hydraulic part is and tag it so that it will flow faster off the system so it can get to this um, assembly line. So I did that for less than two years. And one thing about uh, Oriental families, being the only son, my parents wanted me back in Hawaii. And so they were visiting Los Angeles and they made it a point that we would meet. So I met up with them and their message was, come back to Hawaii. So I had to think about it. And I was trying to start a life, maybe maybe be it in Los Angeles, because the job opportunities uh, were much better than, say, in, in Hawaii. And at that time, my girlfriend, who eventually became my wife, um, she flew for um, Pan Am. And she would bid for flights to Los Angeles, just so that we can spend time together. And that was kind of cumbersome for her because she wouldn't be able to take the international flights, which is maybe better for her rather than taking the short runs. And then you would have to take more short runs versus one long one. Mm-hmm. And uh, so after less than two years, I moved back to Hawaii. I've been here ever since. <laughs> I assume you liked Hawaii, considering you're still there. But yeah. was, it a, was it a choice that you made solely for your parents? Or what did you really want to move back? Well, not only my parents, because at that time, my girlfriend, Helen, um, was living in Hawaii. So I came back, only made sense. And then my grassroots were all in Hawaii, all my contact, my friends. Mm-hmm. And then one of my friends got me to join the, the largest bank in Hawaii at that time. And uh, get on join join the management training program and i thought hey this is great management training program gives me uh greater mobility to move up and so i joined the the management training program i I, uh, worked in retail banking branch banking administration operations administration lending administration you name it. The 38 years I was there, and then at uh, age 62, I took uh, retirement. So tell me about how you met your wife. Oh, both of us were attending the University of Hawaii, and I live in Waihewa, so I would have to drive. And those days, we never had freeways, so it would take take us a good hour. 20 minutes to go approximately 24 miles uh, to school. And that meant getting up early in the morning and then going to the parking lot and fighting for parking stalls. Well, my wife uh, grew up in Haleiwa, North Shore. So that's an additional 20, 25 minutes away from Waihiwa. So if you can see it like this, this is Haleiwa, Waihiwa, and University of Hawaii now in, in Manoa. So we used to see each other in the, their car, the carpool, we always carpool. So we had our carpool, they had their carpool, and then we would say hello and stuff. And we all knew why we were waiting in the parking lot. You know, a whole bunch of us, so we would take turns. Like, I would have to scramble to go to class, and the guy would take over the steering wheel, and then 
finish class, I'll come back. And if it's still waiting, well, it's my turn. Yeah. So that's where we met. And then uh, we hung out together for about four years and then got married. So what was your first impression of her? Oh, it's just friends. You know, in those days, I always treat all women as friends. Never really was serious about any one girl. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, love is something that grows. You know, you just, for some, this is love. Well, for me, it was, this is nice lady, you know, girl. And then one thing led to another. And, uh, hey, here we are today. It's great. Have a son, a daughter. Um, you, you know, Greg. Mm -hmm. Greg lives in Seattle. And uh, I go to Seattle, except for this year because of the pandemic. I usually go to Seattle and uh, uh, visit with uh, Greg and his family to watch kids play baseball. And then I get to see your dad and Matt on the baseball field. Yeah. And then uh, Helen. And then Helen goes to Las Vegas to spend time with our daughter's family in Las Vegas. And sometime I'll go to Las Vegas with her and spend time. And a lot of times if I did go with her, I, I would be doing the handyman work around the house. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about your wife. Oh, well, she, has, uh, she had her degree in teaching. And then soon after she graduated, she joined... Pan American Airways, and uh, she was a flight attendant, and then later she got a job as an administrative job with the company. And many years later, Pan Am went defunct, and the assets, the Pacific route of um, Pan Am, uh, was bought out by United. So she was part of the package when she when United acquired Pan Am. And so she worked for you, um, United uh, as a coordinator. Because of her job, uh, gave us opportunity, not only as a couple, but with our children and now grandchildren, to travel a lot. Mm -hmm. We have done, a, uh, Helen and I have done extensive traveling around pretty much around the world. Certain places we won't go, that's why I can't say around the world, <laughs> you know, pretty <laughs> close to it. Sure, yeah. I wouldn't want to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and, where's your favorite place that you've been? Well, because we travel a lot, I haven't come across a place that I, I would say is my favorite, but maybe a place that could come close to favorite uh, would be where I'm comfortable, and that's Japan. Mm. Their culture, cultural, well, my wife Helen is Japanese, so the culture is kind of some similarly in there. Right. And when you go to Japan, you find that even though it's a crowded city, um, the food is great. It's, you know, they, it's a balanced meal. You know, they give you fish, a lot of fish and vegetable and soup. And, and people are very courteous, mm. except for when you're getting on the train and off the train. Because if you don't move, they're moving you anyway, because <laughs> that's their culture, you know, and we are foreigners and we're not uh, uh, accustomed to somebody rubbing your body. They don't mean to, but you're in the way, so you just got to move with the flow. And, uh, well, talk about Helen then. In, in my family, my Helen and me and the two kids, um, 
she in many ways was the disciplinarian. She took care of the kids. And sometimes I credit her for raising the kids. Because of my job, I was involved in many community activities and organizations. And because of an involvement in the organizations, and one that comes to mind is Rotary. Rotary is a uh, international organization uh, which is comprised of um, businessmen and leaders that uh, try to endeavor to uh, develop human humanitarian service global, worldwide. And in addition to that, it uh, fosters peace and harmonious relationship worldwide. And so from this uh, relationship, I, I was a Rotarian for 20 years. And on one project that I worked on um, was building water wells in the Philippines. Now, I, I didn't go there physically build the water well. Right? I was the director from Hawaii in charge of finance, funding, funding the project. So our club came up with 2,500. And then we got the state rotary, the district 5,000, to match that. that. There's a program and there's a protocol that you follow. So I didn't dream this up. All I had to do is follow the steps. <laughs> and then so now we have 10,000. Well, Rotary Inter uh, International out of um, Chicago, I did the paperwork, sent it to them. They approved it. They matched with another uh, 5,000. So now here we have 10,000. Well, we had a sister Rotary Club called Paco, Paco Rotary Club, located in Manila. They were uh, our go-between because Paco didn't need the water well. It was the countryside that needs the water well. Clean water is hard to come by in third world countries. And so Paco worked with another Rotary Club to actual, actually build the water well. Mm. So the, the, the financial trail went from Rotary International sending the money to Paco. Paco did the physical oversight in getting the uh, water wells put together. And at the completion of the water well, because I was the director uh, for this project, Helen and I, on our own cost, flew to, to the Philippines to validate the water wells. So this kind of uh, giving back to the community, yeah, you know, definitely. it was a good experience. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. and Paco Club, good friends, you know, they, they, you go, we, we go to Paco, and Helen goes to shopping mall with them, then you have the wives, the Paco wives, escorting her, women surrounding her, and they're walking into the mall <laughs> like bodyguards. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said some countries I would never go to, but anyway, I ended up going to Philippines. That's good. Was that a good experience while you were there? Physically? Yeah, it, it was good because it had a positive outcome. The water well was built, and we attend Paco's uh, Rotary meeting. It's important to say, hey, we have our sister club here to join us. 
because you, you, you need the participation uh, of your members. And what highlights that is you have a, members from another club and come and visit. And we all kind of share. And then you find out they're no different than you and me. They're humans. So where else have you been? Oh, where, okay. <laughs> so since you asked the best place and I couldn't answer with a best place. Okay. There was another place I went to that was unique. It uh, visited, we visited with headhunters. True story. We went to Malaysia in a place called Sarawak. It's uh, located on the island of uh, Borneo. Borneo. I think that's how they pronounce it. Borneo. Anyway, it's um, the way it started is we went to Kut, Malaysia. We went to Kuching. Kuching is the major city uh, in Sarawak. And then from there, after a couple of days in Kuching, we, our guide made arrangements for us to visit with the, the indigenous tribe. I think they call it Iban. And to get there, we had to drive up the mountain. It took us about, took us about four hours to get there. And there's this huge reservoir. And then from the reservoir, took the long boats, two long boats, because there were eight of us in the group. And we went up the river, and then we went to this unique hotel. It's, it's a hotel that was pretty much shaped like a longhouse. A longhouse is exactly what it is, longhouse, oblong. And uh, spent a couple of days there, and then a couple of nights. And then on the third night, uh, third day, uh, we boarded the longboats to visit with a tribe in a longhouse. And that was a unique experience. So we, we got there and uh, the people living in a longhouse um, each have their own rooms. There's multiple families living there. And um, kind of hard to describe if it's easy to draw it out. But anyway, could look, look it up. Go Google it later, later on. But anyway, just to say that they have uh, like a covered patio on a longhouse and it's like eight or 10 feet off the ground. And the reason why it's off the ground is in case an invading tribe comes, they can pour hot water down, down the cracks. There are headhunters. So I asked the tour guide, so where's the head, the hanging heads? He said, you want, they want the tourists. You cannot have hanging heads. <laughs> they used to have hanging They took it away, the shrunken heads. You don't see it anymore. Uh, so we made it unique. So you have this tribe, you have uh, the chief, the chief comes out, then people entertain you, they dance. Well, hospitality, these are friendly people. So they, they were dancing for us. Well, you cannot expect only they dance. You have to get up and dance. No matter how funny you look, nobody cares because it's only our private group and we have to dance. And they bring out rice wine. And the glass, you can't see through the glass, so you don't know whether it's clean or dirty. <laughs> you know, and, and they pour it in the glass. And my wife and some of the other wives, they ain't gonna drink it, no way. And so, don't bother me, I, I drank their share just to make it look like everybody participated. <laughs> and and um, 
they showed us the uh, blowpipe gun. You know, you blow the pipe, you know, blow pipe and put a gun in it. And that was interesting. You know, just one big puff. And that dot just goes, it goes far. <laughs> you know. And then, uh, so following uh, the get together with the tribe, oh, before it, I leave that part, our, our guy stopped uh, on the way up uh, to the mountain, uh, stopped at a store. So he bought boxes, he bought a big box of goods, uh, salt, sugar, candy, and some knickknacks. And then that's the gift from us to the tribe. And whoever living in the house, it's divided amongst all those living there. That, that's part of the goodwill. And then, so at the conclusion of that day, um, we boarded the uh, longboat and with the guide from the, some of the Iban people, took us up river and uh, cooked lunch for us out on the water and you know it's just it's the river and wherever we had dry spot uh, we put our body there and then it's in, uh, what fascinated me was the ingenuity of these people like they cook something similar to rice and they have a bamboo they stuff the rice in the bamboo and they put it into the fire and they cooked and when it's ready they cut it open and they serve us and they go up with very limited utensils like to uh, cook the meat. All they had was a screen, but they were clever. You know, they didn't find rocks to hold the screen. They dug a hole on the side of the bank with the branches, stuck the branch into the side of the hill and cooked the meat, put the grill on top of the two branches sticking out. That was clever. I thought I would have to find rocks and put it on top of yeah. the rock, but you know how uneven that gets. Yeah. Yeah. That's really smart. Yeah. Was it good? <laughs> well, I'm not one for eating foreign food. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll stop first, or maybe I'll just stick to drinking. <laughs> Survive on drinks. <laughs> no, it, it was good. It was good. What about a least favorite place? <laughs> Was there anywhere that you've traveled that you were like, ugh? <laughs> Place, yeah. There, there is. There is. Lease. We uh, visited Vietnam. Mm. And <clears throat> there were eight in our group. And one of the female members of the group uh, is very detailed. So every step of the way she goes, she would stop. And meanwhile, the main group is just walking ahead of her. And so I laid back to keep her company mm -hmm. and we were walking to a restaurant little did i know i would become a victim trying to protect her and and she didn't know something was happening to me what happened was as <clears throat> we walked on the sidewalk i did see a guy on a motorbike just sitting there not doing anything and then there was a couple on the right hand side of me well this was a team and so as I continued to walk, the guy with a motorbike came and nudged me or banged me with that uh, motorbike and hit my leg. And as I turned to him to see what was going on, the guy from the right-hand side pushed up against me and took my wallet 
but at that time I didn't know what was happening. Right. I took a couple steps and it dawned on me. I was a victim of pickpocket. I put my hand in my, my wallet, it was gone. And then they split. And so the guy with the motorbike goes onto the street, but to get so many cars, it ain't moving. He ain't going nowhere. And I was gonna run out there and try to do something. And <laughs> didn't make sense, you know. I go out there and I try to jump him, and I'm a foreigner and they see me, then maybe other people would jump on me. I don't know, you know. Yeah. Anyway, it, it, it wasn't <clears throat> a loss, you know. It, I, I did not have currency in there. It's just the inconvenience that I lost my wallet, so my charge card, which is replaceable, and my driver's license uh, was replaceable. So I didn't need it, and it didn't bother me, but I didn't like what happened. Now, yeah. you know, in earlier travels to like places like Hong Kong, you ride the ferry, there are signs saying pickpocket. Mm -hmm. And pickpockets are professionals. Mm -hmm. They don't harm you. They just pick your pocket. You don't even know it happened. <laughs> uh, Vietnam. I, I would never go back to Vietnam. Was that the only reason why you would never go back? Or is there more? Nah, nothing much to see. Mm. Nothing. I don't think so. You don't <laughs> sell me on Vietnam. <laughs> so you went on this trip was it upsetting to you coming home were you did you see it as a loss or were you like eh, we'll go somewhere new next well no i i thought it's it comes with traveling mm -hmm. no matter how safe you try to be um you never know when you you, you can become a victim mm -hmm. on another trip there were 12 of us in a group and because we are seasoned travelers we dress down and walk in a big group and we were in south america in argentina was it argentina i can't remember what it was so many different places yeah it was argentina and so one night we were walking uh going to a uh, dance studio just a bunch of people, um, ladies and gentlemen do the flamingo, I think. Yeah, flamingo. And uh, walking down, it's not, not much street light. Now, you can, you can, can you imagine, you're walking in one big group, and one guy in our group, Daryl, is like 6'1", 6'2", 180 pounds, maybe 200 more. A guy broke into our group to try to grab the purse away from Karen. Well, Karen fought, she wouldn't let go. And meanwhile, now the guys are converging on this perpetrator. Mm -hmm. And he sees the guys coming. He jumps onto the street. Again, he has a partner. The motorbike is his motorbike partners on the street. And so he hopped on the motorbike and took off. And Karen didn't lose anything. So, hey, it's wow. another life experience. <laughs> just another you never know. Know. Yeah, you, you just never know. What would you say of all your travels and years was the happiest time during your life? Happiest? I think when, when we traveled as a family about uh, two years ago, we went to Japan and we did it on our own. And my daughter who um, lives in Las Vegas uh, taught Japanese, I mean taught English in Japan under the JET program. So she has some familiarity. Helen has familiarity with Japan also because of all her flying. Mm -hmm. And so we took a family 
bed and breakfast, you go find, it's all pre-planned. We took Aiden, Kyla, then his two cousins, Kira and Grayson. Each one of us had to carry our own bag because we were taking trains. You, you, there's no transporter that's gonna take you from one place to another. Mm-hmm. So the kids had to each be self-contained. We rode the bullet train with everybody holding their own bags. And after a while, the kids caught on how to do it. You know, when to get on, when to get off, the sights, being together, the food. I, I thought that was really nice, Japan. <clears throat> Maybe that's why it's one of my favorite cities. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about your kids. Oh, well, little history. When my kids were growing up, we told them that education is important. You are going to college. That's not an option. You're going to go to college. And you are not going to stay in Hawaii for your college. You're going to go away. Prepare yourself. When they were young, we were preaching this. And so when they graduated, uh, Greg went to Seattle, Seattle Pacific. And then uh, he's two years older than Carrie, or three years older than Carrie, two, two years older than Carrie. And then Carrie uh, went to um, USC mm-hmm. and she graduated, graduated from USC. Then she went to Japan under the JET program to teach English. That's something she wanted to do. She always took Japanese class, classes in college and in high school. And so in the... What was I saying though? Oh, about that. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Alzheimer's. Um, so what ended up when we told the kids, go away for your schooling? Well, Carrie never, she, once she graduated, she went to, oh, she went to Japan. From Japan, she came back and she went to Creighton for her uh, doctors in pharmacy. She never came back to Hawaii. Greg came back for a short time and then he moved back to Seattle. And so, the kids are not here no more. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm glad to see that, you know, both Greg and Carrie, their families are all doing well, very comfortable with the family, unity, doing things together. You know, Greg being Mr. Mom, takes care of the kids. He does a, he does a damn good job. <laughs> it's hard to do, raising kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you should know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know, but I know I'm a hate. Hey, just reflect on your behavior. <laughs> <laughs> so, raising kids, how was that? What were your children like growing up? Carrie uh, never had to tell her to do anything. She just had her head screwed on right. Um, maybe it comes with maturity, and so never had to do that much talking to about what is good, what is right, how to behave in front of others. And Greg uh, was more maybe like me growing up, trying to find yourself, doing what you thought, doing what came natural, which not necessarily means that was a damn good idea. That was pretty bad, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so when uh, Greg played baseball from a little kid um, all the way up to junior varsity and varsity, 
And Carrie Ann was honor roll student all the way. So Helen compares the two kids, and I'm telling you, you cannot. One is a boy, one is a girl. The, the maturity level, interest level is totally different. You, you can't. Wow, she, she believes he has to do better in his grades. Mm -hmm. uh, well, just take him off the baseball team. And I didn't think that was the right thing to do. Being on a baseball team provided him with an identity, mm -hmm. self-confidence. Not everybody can make it to the JV and varsity level. So if you do that, you're destroying him. Plus, the coach, that they, their, their coach at the private school that he attended was a real good coach. He was a disciplinarian first. If you miss the signal, I don't care how good a player you are, you can sit down. Mm. That's how he made his players mentally strong. Mm. So, so you learned a lot there too. Yes. Mm. So that's the kind of difference. And then you know, and then I think Greg was like, he found himself, he's okay. <laughs> you should know, you see him. <laughs> so when you were raising your children, you and your wife, was there anything from your childhood that you specifically incorporated into your parent, parenting style or specifically left out? I, I don't think it's, it's a good question, but I don't think it's so much for Greg and Carrie Ann. It's with my grandchildren. Mm. Okay, so, okay, attitudes. You can see it, boy, girl. Now, every summer we have the grandkids to come over. I would be happy if all of them were like my daughter when she was growing up. Always did the right thing. Okay. But that wasn't the case with four different personalities running around doing their own thing. Okay, so I came up with this merit program. So every time you do something good, it's a merit. It's very arbitrary. And I don't even keep score, you know. I, I put it on them. And so they would say, Grandpa, I got 10. I said, no, no, I think you got eight. I don't even really know. You know I can't remember. <laughs> but that, that was to build a, a positive attitude and a positive reaction. So if you do it often enough, this is positive, this is positive, after a while, become part of the personality. And I did that, it worked for a while. And then I would, um, to pay off on the merit system, I would take them to um, borders to buy books. And uh, Aiden was really good. So he would grab like five books. And I would tell him, oh, you only have enough for three, you got to back so you find the best one that you want and he would just sit on the floor of the, the, uh, the bookstore and start looking at the books he couldn't read that time but he would look at all the pictures the dinosaur pictures and the other girls are telling no you only got one too bad too sad too bad too sad <laughs> something like that you know <laughs> they should get mad at me and then that will go to toys are, toys are us mm -hmm. and let them Pick out a toy that they want, you know, just so that it gives them a feeling to come back again. Now they're going to start all over. Yeah. I, I did it with them, but it was too late for Greg and Carrie Ann because, like I said, Helen brought the kids out. Helen and actually Helen and uh, my mother and father-in-law, they spent a lot of time with the grandparents. That um, family unity 
is very tight. So when we do things, it's don't bring shame to the family. So how long have you been married now? 50 years. What do you think made your marriage last so long? Do you have any marriage advice for us? <laughs> oh, it's tough. <laughs> no, no. You know, I said tough because you're taking two different individuals. The values you think are the same but are not the same. Mm -hmm. Or they may start off identical in the beginning. And w with time, it changes. Mm -hmm. And so I think maybe my only advice would be flexibility. Mm -hmm. Whereas at one time I would not accept Alan's behavior, but to keep peace, it's not important. Let it go. Some things are just not worth fighting. That's it. All right. Maybe. I'll ask you yeah. one yeah. question. Do you have any just general advice for the younger generations? <laughs> oh. Younger generation. Oof. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot of advices people can give, but all this advice is only valuable if the person giving the advice does something about it. People can show you the map to get to point X, but if you don't take it to heart to get to point X, you ain't never gonna get there. Mm. So, you know, perseverance, stating a goal that this is what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you're going to do it. And then when you get there, you assess, how did I get here? What were the good things that got me here? What didn't go so good? And then you move to your next adventure. Life is an adventure. It's just one step at a time. It's just always, always going on. It's not <laughs> static. Thank you so much for talking with me. I really appreciate it. I didn't know I could speak for 55 minutes. <laughs> <laughs>